Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the Word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the Word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. It's been a roller coaster. And emotional, in part because the task of what I know God is calling me to do is before me, and that's weighty and heavy. And also because a mentor and a friend is leaving. So you'll have to uh, excuse me. I hope I can regain my composure. I knew this was probably going to happen, and I knew it would happen early on. But I have uh, written out um, kind of my story, my call, um, some of the things that I think are going to mark my ministry, and, and I'm going to read that. And as I was writing it, I just kept writing and writing and writing. So I, I might cut parts out as I'm, I'm reading it to, to spare you. I know you guys want to get to the Q&A. As I do, and I, I want to give you answers to the questions that you have. I know there's, there's specific questions um, because some of you had asked me, and I, I, I definitely want to address them, address them honestly, and uh, address them the best that I can. So I'm going to begin reading my call to, to ministry, and some of it will overlap with what Pastor Ken just talked about. So... <clears throat> It was about 12 years ago, my family and I were attending Eastern Hills Bible Church, and uh, we felt God leading us to serve in, in a smaller church. If any of you have been to Eastern Hills, you know it's a, it's a large um, church. It's, it's a great church. It's just a larger church, and we just wanted to, to be uh, plugged in somewhere. We wanted to know people, and we wanted God to use our gifts. We wanted to serve in a meaningful way the body of Christ. At that time, pastor was not on my radar at all. It was not something I had even thought about. I, I didn't feel God calling me. This was 12 years ago. It was, it was not on my radar. In fact, most of my life, as you, you guys have known, I've told this story, public speaking has been something I, I hated. I, I mean, I remember telling myself early on before I got a job that I, God just anything but a job where I have to speak in public, and here I am about to, 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 to do this every Sunday. Um, all right. Amy and I met a few times with Pastor Ken in our first month at Vintage Faith, and eventually he suggested that we leave a Bible, lead a Bible study in our home, like he said, I wasn't thinking I was going to lead it. I thought Pastor Ken was going to be leading it pretty much perpetually. But uh, he transi transitioned, and I began leading that group, and it, it did frighten me. I had a lot of fear, but excitement. And um, with the exception of a few weeks here and there and some short seasons, in the, in the last 12 years, Amy and I have held that Bible study in our house almost weekly, um, pretty close to weekly. 
um, with, a, with a few exceptions. During the first two years of this Bible study, a passion began to grow inside of me to teach and preach the Word of God. Week in and week out, I would have to create a lesson, a coherent study, and teach a group. I didn't know it then, but God was teaching me how to teach his word. I merely thought I was serving and and serving others, but in reality, what God was doing was shaping me. This was training ground for learning how to preach his word. In 2010, Pastor Ken brought a group of leaders from Vintage Faith to a pastor's conference in Albany, New York. I'm not quite sure what happened, but something happened there with my calling. The desire to teach, to preach, to shepherd God's people, it began to grow in me and almost consume me. You can ask my wife. She had to to deal with a lot of just hearing me like, hey, I, I, I need to do this. It was, a, I felt compelled. I, I don't know how else to explain it. It was if I didn't do it, I couldn't, I couldn't go on. I began taking college-level courses with Pastor Ken at Davis College, the extension site, with Pastor Ken teaching, and I would come home from these courses just fired up, like what I was learning. Like, I, I, this is amazing, and I couldn't stop talking about it, and I just needed an outlet to teach. It became, became clear to me that God was leading me in this direction. It was right about this time where Pastor Ken asked me to preach on a Sunday morning, and you guys have heard this story. I immediately declined um, to teach in a small group was one thing, but preaching on Sunday morning in front of people that were more seasoned than you, um, that, that was frightening. So as you all also know, Pastor Ken is persistent. And when he wants you to do something and he sees something in you, he keeps after you. And that's a quality in him that I truly admire. And I, and I hope that I can learn from that. But he kept, he was persistent. I kept running. He kept asking. And then sooner or later, my wife kind of got the best of me and the Holy Spirit and just a kind of a confluence of, you, you need to do this. You can't run any longer. So I did it. And it can't, can't say that it was anything great. It was probably a train wreck. My, in fact, my, I'm sure my first couple sermons were, were a train wreck, but I knew that God was calling me to do it. I knew it. And I knew I'd be miserable if I didn't do it. Every time over the last probably eight years as I've sensed this calling and tried to walk away from it. When I say tried to walk away from it, I mean just thinking in my head, life would be easier without doing this. Um, Every time, God has made me miserable. Miserable. 
Couldn't. Could not walk away from it. The only time I can feel a sense of peace is leaning into it. So as Pastor Ken said, I I enrolled full-time, got my master's degree, graduated in 2018, was ordained here. Pastor Ken worked with me as a mentor, a friend. He worked with me theologically on biblical character. Generally, all things pastoral vocation. I was with Ken. I, like he said, I went to the hospital with him. We would teach groups. We had major issues at Vintage Faith that we dealt with together with other leaders. And I really, truly, like Ken said, think that that is a biblical model. I got something most pastors don't get. I got to witness an older pastor doing these things without having the burden of them on me, but learning how to do it. And that's an amazing thing. Pastor Ken and I have talked about this day for, we've talked about it for the last few years, probably more than a few, and I've always thought it was going to be a little later than, than now, and I'm sure he did too. I can kind of get comfortable in my current role and, and settle in, ask my wife. I'm, I'm not someone that loves change. And so I, when Ken called me, it, it kind of floored me. I was literally speechless. I think I told him that. I'm like, I'm not saying anything because I can't. And I think those were the only words I could get out as he told me he was leaving. But one thing I know and I have learned over the years is God's timing is perfect. I've experienced following God throughout the years. When he calls, there's usually a mixture of fear and excitement. Fear because he's going to call us to do things that are well beyond our human abilities. And excitement because to be personally in his will for your life is the most exciting place in the world to be. And that's exactly how I stand today before you as your next possible pastoral candidate. I'm fearful. I will admit, I am fearful. Everything about this job scares me. It's beyond me, how I'm naturally made. I can only do it through, through the help of God. But I'm also excited. I believe God has made me for this. I believe that he has called me to this. Time will tell. I believe he's equipped me for this. And I believe the only way that I can have peace is to walk through this door. I feel, I told Amy, I I mean, to not do this, I would feel complete disobedience to God. So that, that's kind of my story, and I skipped over a few paragraphs to, to spare you. But just to give you a little bit now about me and what I'm thinking. I mean, you guys have heard me teach here for years, um, and some of you know me better than others, and, and I pray and hope that changes. Um, but I want to share kind of my heart and what my 
heartbeat for ministry will, will be. Um, I'm not, I'll get in a little to methodology, but not a lot, because that's not exactly what I'm talking about here. But uh, the state of the world today, it, it's, truth is crumbling all around us. In 2016, post-truth was named the word of the year by the Oxford Dictionary. We live in a world where truth, morality, and the very order of society is crumbling. Our children are being discipled by the world. They're told they can change their gender, they can choose their sexuality, and we have large, well-funded organizations outwardly admitting to hating the God of the Bible, implicitly and explicitly, putting all their cards on the table, not hiding them, trying to change God's order. For sure, our kingdom is not of this world. I'm not talking politics. That's, don't misunderstand me. But we live in this world and our children are at risk of buying into these ideas. These ideas are not harmless. They cannot exist side by side, faith in Christ for long. In one sense, there's nothing new under the sun. In another sense, the world that exists today is radically different than the world we lived in just 20 years ago. Just this summer, we were immersed in a pandemic and saw major riots breaking out in every major city in, in America. Truly, everyone saw that and said the world is in chaos. I'm standing here today because I believe only Christians can speak into this with any hope. I think we believers in Christ have a moment in history that we need to seize. Now is the time not to be silent. The world needs Christ. The world needs the whole Christ, the whole biblical narrative, the only narrative that can make sense and can speak into our present situation. In the book of Esther in the Old Testament, Mordecai says to Esther, as the Jewish people are facing annihilation, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I think the ground has shifted so significantly in our cultural moment that we have an opportune moment in history to speak. To speak, of course, in love, and to love and meet needs, yes, but not to not speak, not to be silence, to silent. This is a moment to speak the truth into a world that has embraced chaos and descending into darkness. I truly believe law and the justice of God are doctrines that will bubble up and rise front and center. As believers, we get to speak into the chaos of the moment. And when I say moment, I think it could be the rest of my ministry here at Vintage Faith Church for the next 15, 20 years. And at the same time, we pray for revival as the gospel is the only solution that, that can change what we see going on in our world and where that trajectory is headed. My desire is to equip you, your families, your kids with a worldview, with the gospel, to give you language, to be able to share the gospel in this unique time and place, which will require 
a gospel that starts in Genesis, creation, the image of God. The beautiful doctrine of the image of God speaks into almost every major issue of our day. Racism, gender dysphoria, sexuality, technology, teen suicide. The image of God is a doctrine that I think will bubble up front and center with the justice and the law of God. Over the course of history, sometimes particular Christian doctrines emerge and take front and center because they prophetically speak to the major issues of the day. These are doctrines that I think are going to prophetically speak to the major issues of our day, and I strongly desire to equip vintage faith, families, kids, individuals with them. I desire for you to know the bankruptcy of the ideas out there in the world and what God says about them. I want us to see error for what it is. I desire for our people to spot the subtleties of false teaching that bring destruction. There's only one answer to to the chaos that we see around us, and it's the only answer that I'm equipped to give, and that's the gospel. I'm not talking about standing on a corner and and yelling at people and yelling at the world. Don't hear me wrong. We're to be salt and light and love, but we're to be equipped. The Apostle Peter says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Some people will hate us for this message. Some will find life in in the very words that we offer them, God's words. I'm not too interested in those that will hate us. We will pray for them. We desire for them to come to repentance, but we cannot worry about that. I'm interested in those who hear and come to faith. My heart beats for those who find life in Christ and will call this church their own. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. A few words on methods and and vision. I'm going to try to cut this down. I'm realizing as I'm reading it, it's probably too much. Methods and vision. I've witnessed and read many how-to books on churches trying to reproduce business practices and particularly pragmatic structures that businesses use in an attempt to grow numerically. The church, I think, can be, in a large part, seduced by worldly ways in this area. There's a certain mentality, if you build it, they will come. Many times, American churches can get wrongly striving after this success, and only seeing success as growth 
in numbers as the only indicator. And small churches like Vintage Faith Church, which make up an overwhelming amount of churches in the world and are very close to the size of most of the New Testament churches, most likely, can tend to look at themselves as less than other churches because the mega church down the street has 10 times the people, 10 times the programs, and there can be an unhealthy competitive desire that develops in people. This is going to breed discontentment. It will be as if we need to prove ourselves as a church, and the only way to prove ourselves is to grow in numbers and grow in size and grow in programs. I don't believe that anything we do pragmatically will cause the church to grow. And that may surprise you that I I would say that. But think for a moment, if I truly believe that, I would be indicting Pastor Ken before me and Pastor Bob before him because I would be saying they didn't grow the church in any meaningful way, therefore their ministries have failed. And that is, could not be and is not further from the truth. Personally speaking, Pastor Ken has poured countless hours of mentorship into his relationship with me and I know with many others of you as well. His work will go on through all of us. It's multiplied through all of us. I wouldn't be standing here today as a pastoral candidate if it wasn't for Pastor Ken and his work. Through many hours of teaching, counseling, and spending time together, there's a depth that happens, and if we're only looking at numbers, we will miss the depth and miss the real work that God is doing. I don't want our church to be held captive by worldly success indicators. At the same time, I'm excited to see what God has for this church in the future if you so choose to call me as your pastor. If God so chooses to cause, cause growth here, we will revel in it and we will praise God if he sends numbers and and that praise God. Only God gives the growth. The apostle Paul says in his letter to the Corinthian church, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. We're called as a church to be the church, to preach the gospel, to teach the word, to live lives worthy of the gospel, to love each other, to be on mission in our lives, sharing the gospel in our lives, being salt and light in the world that we inhabit. I want us to be free and content with what God has given us and ready to see what he brings our way and not to be too busy because we're busy looking for success in another area which God is not giving. I believe the church is a family. It's the family of families. It's not a business. Our relationships should be more organically family-oriented than sterile business-oriented. We're also a prophetic minority in a lost and confused world. We're salt and light in the world. No matter how large we are, how small we are, no matter what programs we don't have or we do have, we can't be everything to everybody. We can only do what God is leading us to be and do. And that's most often going to happen through the people he gives us. 
If God gives us somebody that's gifted in this area or this area, we'll see ministries grow in those areas. Our primary calling as a church, 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul says to Timothy, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the church, of the truth. The pillar and foundation of the truth. We uphold truth as a community in a world filled with lies and chaos. We have the most precious thing anyone could have, Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. We are sustained by this truth. We proclaim this truth. We uphold this truth. We guard this truth. We speak this truth. We are the people who have the very words of life that is truly life in a dark and dying world. There's an obscure passage in the book of 1 Chronicles that has always caught my attention, and I feel it bubbling to the surface in the last year more than ever. As Amy and I, with four young kids in the house, trying to navigate all the chaos surrounding the world right now, they have questions, they're hearing things, they're being discipled by friends, by media, they're giving, getting constant worldviews thrown at them that aren't aligning with the, the, the gospel. So we found ourselves in conversations, deep conversations, good conversations about really difficult topics. And you know if you're a parent, many times you think you know something until you're child asks you the question and you have to ponder it and you think, man, I think my answer is a little too simplistic. I need to dig a little deeper. So that's where we found ourselves. That's the season of life we found ourselves in. But the passage in 1 Chronicles that I'm referring to is just 1 Chronicles 12.32 of Isaacar, Isaacar, which is a tribe of, of Israel, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. I think this can be a worthy goal as a church. We're living in a time where there's a lot of evil masquerading as light. And the Bible talks about this, that Satan, he's going to come around. He's going to look like goodness and and that's what we see our children wrestling through right now. And I think as a church, a goal is to, to know. Know where these dangers and these worldviews and these, these, these things are coming at and into the church and, and really infecting beautiful doctrines, doctrines of Jesus and the gospel and salvation and, and all that. And they're, they're against them, but they might not look against them in, at, at first blush. So I desire that we can be a church, men and women, who are like the men of Isaacar, who know and understand the times and know what the church ought to do. I'm not saying I do this well. I'm not saying that I've done this well. I'm just saying I have a desire for it. And, and it's a journey that I would want to go on together 
with the church. It's going to mark my teaching. It's going to mark my preaching. It's going to be woven in, contrasting worldviews, gospel, anti-gospel. I want us to know why God's ways are good, and I want us to be aware of the dominant cultural lies infiltrating the church. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, so that we may not no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I'm almost done. <laughs> and I have spared you. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, what was I thinking? I, I could have wrote a, I don't, yeah, exactly. I could have wrote a book. Oh, all right. Last page. Trust me, this is the last page, I think. Yeah. All right. I know many of you probably have some specific methodology questions for me. Like, what about this ministry or that ministry? Will there be a youth group? What are your plans? What are you thinking? I hope that you can hear my heart right now from what I've been saying that I desire to equip everyone in the church, families, individuals, children. I have four, four children of my own. Like I said, we're, we're constantly having worldview discussions, gospel discussions. I want to equip families to, to do that, to have these tough discussions with, with children As far as what ministries will look like, I, I don't know. Um, ministries that have thrived in one decade may not in another. We're in the will, middle of a worldly pandemic, an upcoming election that could create and, and, and have way more chaos than we saw in the summer around that election. Unemployment is at an all-time high rioting, the world's divided over just about everything, anything you can divide over, people are dividing over. We're in a social media age where discussions have been reduced to how many characters Twitter will allow, so people are shouting at each other on online. So as far as methodology and, and how things will look, I, I think the ground beneath us is still moving. I, I don't know. We, we will have to see. We don't know if we're going to go back into a, 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 another phase of uh, coronavirus uh, shutdown. Who knows? The ground beneath us is changing. It's hard to tell what world is emerging. What will the world look like in a year? What methods will be most affected? I, I, effective? I don't know. Those things we'll have to wait and see. One thing that I do feel and believe, if we think about Jesus' words, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. I think this is one way that we can be different from the world right now. Speak the truth, speak it in love, but be peacemakers. That will set us apart make us look different, contrast us to the rest of the world just by doing that. My strong desire is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
This is the biblical charge that's been given to me as a pastor, how that plays out specifically with specific ministries. God knows and time will tell. My commitment to you, these are four quick things. <laughs> I'm looking at something I wrote. There's a lot I can say here. Well, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, all right, first thing, I'll preach the word of God. I'm going to be spending most of my energy on this. I believe it's the most important thing I do and will do. It's the one area where I'll devote my attention to more than every other area. If I fail in my preaching ministry, I would consider my entire ministry a failure. I'm a pastor, and I believe that what God says is the only one whose opinion matters. My convictions stand in the tradition of the reformers who moved the pulpit to the center of the gathering place, signifying that the word of God is center of the church. I believe that. One, I'll preach the word. Two, I will shepherd God's flock. I will speak the word into your life, one-on-one, -on -one, small groups, phone calls. I will love you in the way that I believe God is calling me to love you by speaking his word, his truth into your life. Sometimes you might not want to hear it. And I hope I can do it with salt and grace and in love, but I won't, and I pray that I won't back down from giving you God's word in your specific situation. I will pray for you. I'll pray for you, for your kids, for the church. Over the years, Ken has uh, shared with me how he wakes up in the middle of the night, God wakes him up and, and to pray for you guys and pray for specific people. And that's already started for me. And, 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 it, and it's crazy because you can't get back to sleep. God puts certain people on your mind and you pray. Once you do, you're, you can go back to sleep. I will pray for you. I see this as primary importance in my ministry and calling. And lastly... Patience, patience might not even be the right word, but I'm not looking to climb any ladders um, in, in ministry. Not that, I mean, I, not that everyone does, but I know that that's a thing. I'm not looking to find a small church to go to a bigger church. I'm not looking to advance a career in pastoral ministry. I'm not looking to make a name for Anthony at all. Um, I have one goal, that's to exalt the name of Jesus Christ among you. And you can ask my wife, when I get settled into a place, it's really hard to move me. That's, that's where I thrive. I know other people thrive on change. I thrive on day in and day out, things that other people might think are, are boring. That, for some reason, is where I can kind of come alive. Oh, I, when I said I had one page left, I had three left. I don't know how. So I'm not starting off on a great foot. Oh, man. 
All right, so final thoughts. Um, I see the church body here operating as we always have under Pastor Ken. I know there are many ways in which Ken and I are different, but we've also worked together for 12 years. We're very similar. Um, we've, you know, we, we've been in a, to be able to work together for that long and, and, and the church that has gone through so many different trials and, and tribulations, we, we've got each other. We understood kind of what the ethos of the church should be. Um, I don't see that changing. There's going to be things that I'm more passionate, that he was more passionate about other things, and, and that, that would change. But the general, we're, we're more probably alike than we are different. Um, we've always been a community on mission. I that's not going to change. It's always been organic. It's, it, so many people have come to faith here, had their faith rekindled through families and friends and just organic relationships. I, Ken's always um, been about that. I'm about that. I just, he's never been about big programs, and, and either am I. So there's going to be a lot of that same stuff. I think there's an organic DNA that's in both of us. Um, I've per personally witnessed God care for Vintage Faith Church over the years. Like Ken said, there were times where it looked like it could be lights out for us. There were some really scary times. Much seemed to stand against us. But God saw fit to care for Vintage Faith, to love Vintage Faith, to keep Vintage Faith a vibrant, healthy, spirit-filled, Bible-believing, biblically faithful church. Not perfect, but biblically faithful, spirit-filled. Despite what is happening in the world today, or a year from now, or five years from now, we know we serve a living Savior and living Lord. All things, no matter what, are working together towards his ends. All things, no matter what is swirling around around us, we have no... We, we shouldn't panic. The world is in chaos and possibly could descend into more chaos, but God is sovereign. It is all in his hands. What a wonderful time to be a Christian. We get to live in such a time as this. The Apostle Paul says he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation. So we have all been sovereignly placed here in this time, in this place. Are we not here like Esther in the midst of a chaotic world for such a time as this? And like Mordecai's words to Esther, if we remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from another place. The world needs our message. The world needs the living Christ. We have him. What an incredible opportunity. If you choose to call me as your pastor, this is my passion. To build into the people of God a deep understanding, love for, worship of Jesus Christ. And to be on mission with God in a dark and chaotic world. Not something to be afraid of. It's a mission that infuses purpose into everything we do. Thank you for listening to the Vintage Faith Podcast. At Vintage Faith, our vision is to help people who are far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. 
We pray that this podcast brought you closer to God. For more information, check us out at vintagefaithcicero.com.